Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. Join me, special guest, since uh, we're actually getting a Major League Baseball season this year. It's Derek Hardy, the, the proprietor of the bat, the most stupendous DFS MLB projection system ever. It's the most accurate, most prolific. It's the most everything season long, not season, month long, week long, day long. It doesn't matter. Uh, Cardi, you're back for, for, for another season. Were you a little nervous during, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that uh, the players may, there may not have been a season? Yeah, I wasn't nervous for most of the offseason, and then they started pushing stuff back and stuff was happening, and I got a little nervous temporarily. But, I mean, you knew there was going to have to be a season. You know, I thought maybe they were going to have a shorter one. They are just going to cut out April or something, but uh, it worked out. We have a full season. Uh, we get pushed back a week, which is fine, no big deal. And, uh, yeah, should be a good one. And uh, in your projection system, the bat is – the primary one that I use for MLB DFS, uh, I mean, that's not the only one that I use, but it is the baseline. It's essentially the baseline of 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 the projections that I use to build lineups for GPPs. And I use your your stack tools where, you you know, you the five man, four man stacks, different values, everything like that. Uh, this year for. Uh, the bat. I know last year you uh, incorporated Statcast data. Is that no longer in beta anymore? Is that like is that part of the the bat the bat X? Is the the bat X now like properly? You know you, you know you're more comfortable to not call it a beta anymore. Yeah, no, it, it's not. I mean, it's been a couple years now. All the tests. I mean, all the back tests when I built it showed it was going to be better than the original version of the bat. You know, all the, the accuracy tests over the last couple of years that have shown that. So, yeah, I uh, I don't see any reason to use the original version of the bat at this point because the bat X is just that plus stack cast data and uh, it's better. So, yeah. Are, are you utilizing, I remember last year you said that it was primarily for the batters. You weren't using it as much for the pitchers. So is that changing this year that where stat cast is, is incorporated into everything now? It's not fully incorporated into pitchers yet. That still is uh, is coming. Um, you know, there's been other off-season projects I've been working on. We're going to have ownership projections this year, which will be nice. Um, but StatCast for pitchers is uh, not ready yet. It incorporates a little bit. Like, it accounts for velocity uh, for fastballs. It accounts for spin rate changes for fastballs. But there's just so much to do with pitching um, and it's just, there's just so much I want to put in there. That's not in there yet. You know, tunneling and spin mirroring and, you know, late break. And there's just so much stuff. Um, but it's a, we just have so much more data for pitchers than we do for hitters that it's an entirely new process that I need to build to make it work. And it's, uh, it's a lot more involved, a lot more complicated. It's there, it's happening, but it's not ready yet. Well, I mean, also you have to be sure because I mean, in the, I've been using the bat for maybe five years, four years, five years. Uh, the pitching projections, I, I almost think are better than the hitting projections sometimes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, a lot of that it's, it, it's, it's, it's scary how like I'm more likely using the bat projections compared to the rest of the industry. Cause obviously as a full-time DFS player, I subscribe everywhere. So I see the projections everywhere else. And I also know that the amount of variables that you use for the bat are like 10 times more than any other any other place. So you're you're weighing ballpark factor a little bit more than other sites or weather a little bit more. Like if it's if it's a Wrigley game and it's 25 miles an hour to left to, to center field, it's basically anyone in that game has a median projection of eight million points, right? Like <laughs> right. I mean, obviously yeah. around the industry it's more also, but it's much more apparent there. And the pitching projections I notice are tend to be more, con- I wouldn't call it contrarian, but whatever variables you're putting into pitching is dr- tep- typically dramatically different than the rest of the industry. Where I, I'm sitting there and you're 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 projecting some $7,200 pitcher to have more raw points than Garrett Cole on the slate, <laughs> and he's going to be like four percent owned, and like 
yes, variants involved, anything could happen. And these are these are typically are higher variance pitchers. Uh, but I mean, there's so, so many times I'm I'm finding these cheap pitchers with the bat to able to like pay up for like the premium stacks where most of the field is looking at pitchers that are sub, you know, 7,500 on DraftKings uh, going like, I don't want any of these guys. And they're just basically, how do I find cheap, cheap one-offs, right? That, that, that $2,700 leadoff outfielder, the Nick Martini of the world, right? The guy that has almost no ceiling. People are jamming into their outfield spot just so they could play like Jacob DeGrom and some 9,500, Adam Wainwright or something. And then I'm finding, you know, that obviously that the, I think the poster child for, uh, uh, for that cheap pitcher over the course of the past couple of years is what Drew Smiley. Yeah, Smiley's been that guy a few times, but uh, you know it it works out a lot of times, and and I think it makes sense that the bat is higher on guys like that than other systems are, and it's not that it's like it's always high on Drew Smiley or or any pitcher like that. Just to use him as an example, it can be high on him relative to the field and his price tag mm. when the matchup is right, and that's where the, I think the bat really shines is that it incorporates so many different factors that, you know, some people or I'd imagine other systems, you know, they're kind of just, you know, when they're talking about matchup, they're talking about like, you know, the, the season long stats of the opposing offense and maybe like a rudimentary ballpark factor or something. But like the bat is taking into account, not the season long stats of the offense, but the underlying talent of each specific hitter in the lineup. So if like a star player is missing, like that's going to impact it. And it's coming up with like real good ballpark factors and real weather factors and umpire and defense and pitcher catch frame or catcher pitch framing and like everything else. So like it's accounting for all these different things and any one of them maybe on its own can be like a smaller edge, but you stack a whole bunch of them together. And all of a sudden a guy who would normally project, if you're just using one or two factors for like, you know, 13 DraftKings points, well, maybe now he's projecting for 17 or 18 because he's got a few things working in his favor um, that others aren't considering. And now you have this guy who's projecting really well and no one's going to be on. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, on the hitter's end, you always have the problem of, I guess I'm playing Rugged Odor at second base today. Oh, again, again, <laughs> right? But but the thing the thing about the, the hitter projection, I mean, all projections in general, but especially in baseball, is that the range of outcomes, especially on hitters, because pitchers, you have more events that happen throughout the course of the game. They're pitching 80, 90, 100 pitches. Right. Uh, batters are like, Four at bats, five at bats, three at bats. That uh, the variance between that, where a guy could have a great median projection, but the standard deviation between batters could be dramatic. So Rudin oh. Odor could have a nine point. He's batting fifth, right, and he's thirty two hundred, and uh, and it's he's like a crappy me- second base position, right? A weak second base anybody. position, right, and he's yeah. he has a median proje- a mean projection of a nine. Like, the dude never scores nine points. He's like, he never fucking scores nine points. He doesn't get on base that often. He's either going to score yeah. a home run plus, a double with two RBI or something like that, or he's going to strike out four times. Like, so looking at someone like that or Hunter Renfro, those strikeout or bust Joey Gallo tends mm-hmm. to project, well, he's projecting uh, 12, 12 points mean. It's like, like dude, it's, it's going to be zero. It's going to be a couple of walks. He walks a lot, though. I get it. Yeah. Uh, but but then you also have guys like you know Adam Frazier projects for a similar amount at second base, and it's like, well, unless he's getting on base and getting a bunch of steals or stuff like that, like Adam Frazier typically, especially on a bad offense, is probably doesn't have the ceiling often for 20, 30 points. While Odor does, and that's accounted for in the range of outcomes. So like I know uh, if you're using the bat or any projection system in baseball for cash games where you're trying to like maximize for that like 55th percentile outcome like sometimes you take a lower mean projection just to get not wild players in your lineup or some people embrace that fact and go I don't want to play the slap hitters at all I just want to play eight guys in my lineup that have a chance for a home run because if one guy hits a home run it makes up for the fact that another guy didn't Especially yeah. in the in, in this three outcome type of baseball environment, the way it is. But I mean, and you have so many slates for it to even out. Even if your guys aren't hitting a home run today, like all right, so whatever. You have 179 other days where they can. You know, it's uh, 
it's not like football, you know, where you only have 16 slates or 18 slates or whatever, whatever it was this year. And, uh, you know, it's just, you have a lot of them in baseball, but, but the, the way the sites create their scoring system really dictates this. A lot of times people are like, why does the bat love Rugnet Odor? If you look at fan graphs, the bats projections are there. It thinks Rugnet Odor is a below average major league hitter. And it has for a while, but his skill set is perfectly suited for the way we score points in fantasy because home runs count for so much. He's going to project for a high medium because his skill set is just home runs. Yeah, when, when he's three, when he's three thousand dollars. I mean, if he's if yeah, it was forty five, right? Yeah. If he was forty five hundred the whole year on DraftKings last year, like Odor, he would never make anyone's lineup no, with never. the bat because it's. No. But when you get a three K hitter with his skill set. It's like the old, all other 3K hitters are like light hitting catchers and, you know, short stops that don't do much. And it's like, oh, I get to plug in an actual guy that could hit, you know, 30 home runs over the course of the year into my lineup rather than some, you know, minor league level hitter batting eighth in some guy's yeah. lineup. The tough part with Odor, too, is he's always been playing in these great hitters parks. Like, he was in Texas when it was a launching pad. Then last year, he signs with the Yankees, and it's like, oh, boy, he's in this great park for lefty power. Of course, he's going to be projecting well in that amazing lineup. Um, this he, year, though, he's on the Orioles. And I was, as soon as it happened, I was like, no, not again. Yeah, but the, now, or, that, or, the Orioles situation now, I, I, I think that an edge in the beginning of the season, because you, oh. you came out last year. Or was it the year before? Something that people aren't going to realize that the Marlins Park isn't as dramatic of a pitcher's park anymore because they changed the walls and the dimensions for the Marlins. Too bad the Marlins suck anyway, but I mean, at least for for, for visiting teams. But uh, it seems like Camden Yards, like for some odd reason, they they're they're moving what they're moving the one of the fences back twenty six feet and making it a six foot fence, like like. Number one, what are the changes? And number two, like, why? Are, are, is the reason, Is it, let me guess, is the reason why? Because their pitching sucks so much that they're trying to uh, avoid giving up so many runs all the time? I don't think so because, like, it would even out. You know, the pitchers would give up, you know, fewer runs, but then the hitters would score fewer. Or, like, it would, it would balance on both sides of it. So I think it's because they think their team – is uh is more suited to this park the way the team is built and like the projections kind of bear that out like i have the orioles projected for like a half a win more after this park change um which isn't really a lot um it seems kind of dramatic to me but you know their their stats guys seem to think that this is this is good for their team so it is what it is all we have to care about as fantasy players is is what's going to happen in our game and uh, yeah, this is dramatic. This is um, the second biggest uh, outward shift of fences in the history of Major League Baseball. The only time a team has moved their fences back more than the Orioles are this year was in like 1955 or 1956 Fenway Park. I That's remember the, the beginning of that season. I did very well in DFS. Oh, and yeah. Then, right. No. Back in 1955, <laughs> it was very, very useful. But yeah, like this is a historically large change. So it's going to be a big deal. Um, I mean, obviously we can never know for sure ahead of time, but just like based on kind of what we know about fences and how parks work, a, a change like this projects, makes Orioles Park project it originally was projecting as like one of the best home run parks in baseball. I think like the fourth best overall offensive park in baseball. Now it projects like neutral for both. Um, so this goes from like a really, really good hitters park to like, you know, th- I don't know, whatever a random neutral park is target field or nationals park or like whatever, like it's just going to be. Okay. But it's not, a, but it's not as dramatic as being like PNC or, or Oakland or Petco. Yeah, it's not park. Yeah, it's not going to be that, probably. Um, but it's definitely not going to be an extreme hitter's park. So we're going to be less likely to, you know, when the Orioles-Yankees play, it's less likely that we're going to be getting, you know, a lot of, you know, hey, do it, Glaber Torres, does it matter anymore? Does it matter if it's the Orioles, regardless oh, of the God. park? Yeah, the uh, DFS players love their <laughs> player versus team, player and ballpark bullshit splits. Like, they don't matter. They don't matter. <laughs> So is is that it's, uh, what other changes in Major League Baseball? I know uh, I, I I saw like I'm I'm a DFS player. So at the end of the day, baseball doesn't matter to me until like the the day before like the season starts with the slate, right? So like 
I'm barely paying attention to who's on what team anymore. I mean, like once once I've stopped playing MLB DFS, it doesn't start again until until whenever. Uh, it, there is every park now going to have a humidor. I saw I saw that. That does that matter? Uh, nowhere near as much as people are going to pretend like it matters. Um, we saw a couple of years ago when Chase Field added their humidor. Um, the bat adjusted for it. It wound up being a big deal. Like it was this extreme hitters park that's basically become like a neutral park, which is what we projected it as. And so many DFS touts were like, no, this is fake. Like, let me tell you the real physics of baseball. It's like, dude, who are you? You have no idea what you're talking about. Um, the first couple games that year were like offensive slugfests and like touts were like taking victory laps, like, oh, ha ha, rumor door. Like it was, it's, it was fake. Like it didn't matter. Um, and of course that, that wasn't the case. It was a two game sample size and then things got normal the way it should have been. Um, but I think a lot of people now, I don't know, maybe because they didn't react strongly enough to the last one, or maybe because the last one wound up being such a big deal. Um, people seem to be making a big deal out of this humidor stuff. And so I think that's going to give us uh, potentially an edge in DFS because I don't think people understand the way a humidor really works. And to to talk about it in like the simplest terms. Does, does, doesn't it doesn't a humidor heat the balls? Doesn't it heat your balls? It doesn't really heat your balls. It is a, a way the balls are stored. So okay. um, it's more about like, I guess the simplest way is to say like um, – like applying water to the ball. So it's either like removing or adding moisture. It's humidifying or dehumidifying your balls. Yeah. To make them like heavier or lighter essentially. Well, from my my experience, typically humidity makes, makes the, makes the balls looser. Um, Makes my balls looser as at least. (laughs) (laughs) That's the point. That's all I know. Right. So if yeah, it's not so, if it's really dry, typically typically your balls kind of kind of shrink up, right? You get some shrinkage there. Yes. Is it is is a baseball similar to a scrotum? I I have no comment on what is what is the what is the what is the scrotum correlation <laughs> to, to to the baseballs? Jesus, um, yeah, uh, you know so, I have to I have to I have to title this episode scrotum correlation. <laughs> Just, just, that's, just. That's gonna bring in the views, right? Well, the SEO value of people. Hey, people may be looking up. Hey, I need to know. I need. I'm looking up nude pictures of Derek Hardy, but oh, just yeah. the scrotum. I just want to know to, to scrotum, the scrotum size. <laughs> scrotum. But yeah, before the humidors in Coors and Chase Field, both of those cities are very dry. Humidity is always very, very low, and so the balls are dry. And so when you um, add, when you put the balls in a humidor. You add moisture to the ball, they become heavier, and offense goes down. Um, the, the difference between the humidors in Chase and Coors, though, is that those cities were so dry to begin with, and the storage conditions for those balls were so dry to begin with, that going from that to 70 degrees, 55% humidity in the humidor was a big change. Most parks, though, are already around 55% humidity. So adding a humidor to a to a ball that's already been stored in like 55-ish degree percent humidity for the past several years isn't going to make any difference. It's it's the same thing. It's just standardizing it across baseball. Maybe tiny differences, um, but the biggest problem is we don't even know where the balls were being stored previously. Were they at the exact same humidity of you know the outside weather of that city? Were they in a room where the humidity was, you know, maybe up a little or down a little? Were they stored in like a damp basement? Like we don't know the previous storage conditions. So we can't really know what these new humidors are going to do, especially when the average conditions are pretty close to the humidor conditions anyway. I think the only parks that we might see um, a predictable impact in um, unless somehow we get a report that says, okay, these are where all the balls were being stored in every park previously. And if we had that, that would be great. We could calculate some real stuff. But if all we know is just like which cities are the most humid or the least humid, uh, San Diego is the most humid. San Diego is uh, the only park, I think, that is really significantly above that 55% threshold. It's about 70% humidity in San Diego. San Francisco is about 65%. So we could see a little bit there maybe. But San Diego in particular would be the one. 
Um, and it would have the opposite effect of Chase and Coors Field, where we saw offense go down. Because essentially, for Chase and Coors, we were adding moisture to the ball. In Petco, because it's on the other side of the spectrum, we would be removing humidity from the ball or moisture from the ball, and offense would go up. Um, so that's the one that I want to look out for. I'm debating whether or not to try to make a little bit of an adjustment in the bat for it. Again, we have imperfect information, and so it's tough to know. We don't know how they were being stored in San Diego previously. Um, so I am looking into some things, but that's kind of the, the, the rundown on the humidors. Everyone's going to be like, oh, these humidors are such a big deal, and people have tried to make a big deal out of it. You know, the last couple of years when they announced, you know, like three humidors in like Miami and Toronto or whatever. Um, but really, for most parks, it's not going to matter at all. Is there anything else that is changing this year? Ball wise, field wise, rules wise, anything? I mean, they're not banning the shift yet. So, I mean, none of that is changing. Yeah. Is there anything that you notice that is going to uh, impact uh, projections uh, in certain places or just overall in general? Yeah, so... Seven inning doubleheaders are gone, so that'll that'll be nice. Well, that that'll that'll save the headache from a DFS yeah. like from a DFS perspective of number one, uh, not having to go like well, obviously the hitters in this game like are are le- like losing at bats probably. Uh, the pitcher is more likely to get a complete game because of it's only seven innings, but also the headache of. Uh, having multiple slates on a day and which games are on what I know from your perspective, loading stuff into lineup HQ and on roto grinders and probably across all sites in the industry to, well, this one's a double header and this one's part of that slate. And this one, <laughs> like that's going to kind of go out the window. So we don't have to worry about those anymore. Yeah. So that, that should be nice. Um, we have universal DH coming back. We had that temporarily in 2020 during the shortened COVID season, and then it was gone last year and now it's back this year. So I think that's definitely going to give us an edge because anybody who's just like looking at raw stats for, especially for pitchers, uh, they're going to have, they're going to have an imperfect idea of who the pitcher is because last year national league pitchers got to face a pitcher, you know, in the batting order, you know, every nine batters or so, and their stats are going to look better because of that. Um, And so this year, everyone's going to be on the same playing field. And I think a lot of projection systems are going to have a difficult time um, kind of adjusting for it because we've had so many different baselines the past three years of, okay, no universal DH, universal DH, no universal DH. And this year we have it again. So um, it's a lot of kind of moving parts and it's something that the bat is really well equipped to deal with because the way the bat works is, I mean, it, it, it just does this automatically. Like it doesn't care if there's universal DH or not because when it estimates a player's talent level, it looks at every single at bat, or you know, plate appearance or a batter faced or whatever for a pitcher um, that every player has ever taken and the context of it. Okay, it was in this park and this was the weather and this was the umpire and this is the opposing pitcher or hitter. And it, it basically says, okay, well, the conditions here were really good or really bad. Um, and then it, it basically adjusts the player's stats for you know how easy or hard the conditions were. So it knows already exactly, exactly how many pitchers uh, pitchers in the batting order, every pitcher in the entire league has faced. You know, maybe Jacob Degrom last year faced. Uh, you know, nine nine point two percent of his batters were against opposing pitchers, and uh, maybe for Max Scherzer it was ten point six percent, or like whatever it is. Like it knows exactly the amount, and it's already adjusted for it. Um, and so it already has like a neutral understanding of who every pitcher is, regardless of of the opposing batters, which which is really nice. So. From there, once you have that baseline where everyone's just the same, the competition doesn't matter, then you just project them against that day's lineup, and every day's lineup's going to have a DH in it today or this year. But uh, as, as a default, uh, you would expect – one would expect that over that in the beginning – with, with less data in the beginning of the season especially, that the pitchers that have been in the National League the past three years – in the bat will may may possibly project lower than you expect. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we're seeing that with season long projections. I'm getting all the time. Why does the bat hate Walker Bueller? Why does the bat hate this guy or this guy? It's like, well, he was in the national league last year, guys. Like there, there, there's a DH now, like that he's going to get a little bit of a hit from that. 
right? So his strikeout rate's going to go down. Yep. Right. I mean, and more runners possibly on base. I mean, his ERA or Sierra, whatever, goes up. His xFIP goes. I mean, like, how to what extent? Probably not where it's like, oh, you te- Walker Bueller is now a fourth star. Like, like you're not to that level. <laughs> it's just that on a, on a given slate in the like, especially in the beginning of the year, where people are heavily weighting last year's stats, and they'll go, well, it's like, well, uh, I'm going to play Corbin Burns for 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 eleven thousand, and and the bat may have you Darvish and Corbin Burns like nowhere near as projected as like Shane Bieber on the same slate because it's like, well, they're going to have to face an actual batter now than kind of a free strikeout or a free bunt sacrifice out or something like that, that it may not be dramatic, but in DFS, we care about the, on a day-to-day basis, we care about the margins. Yeah. Even a point or two difference, especially when you're trying to decide between the aces up top, like it, it, it makes a difference. So uh, the bat is going to be accounting for it exactly correctly. And uh, I do think the the field is going to be uh, trying to kind of eyeball it and estimate it and probably not doing as good of a job. So as far as the field is concerned, this is going to be the first year that you're going to be offering ownership projections with the bat. Now it used to be uh, that, you know, you got RG ownership projections. You got Roto Grinders, and there was some confusion behind that because technically, I don't think technically you were supposed to with just no, the bat. No. If you didn't have a Roto Grinders premium subscription, and then people got it anyway, and then it got taken away, and then people are like, "Why are you taking it away?" It's not. It's not part of the bat. You don't. You never did ownership projections, but obviously, uh, instead of having people have to pay for the bat and then also have to pay. For ownership projections, it makes more sense to do them yourself. But as someone that doesn't come from a GPP background, I'm not saying you don't understand the math and the game theory behind it. Uh, how are you? How are you projecting ownership? First of all, as a methodology, and secondly, how are you avoiding, or maybe you're not, the fact that, like, just because you like. You can't project Ruden Odor as 24% owned and Drew Smiley <laughs> as 32% owned because your projections have it has them at the best values. The rest of the industry doesn't. So right. that's a bad ownership projection. So how are you how how are you coming to your ownership numbers and how confident are you going to be that you're able to project owner, ownership at least within the realm of accuracy as everyone else in the industry where it's not, I mean, owner rejections are tough, right? Because you're dealing with human biases and also people looking at the same information that, oh, this guy's going to be under-owned. And then all of a sudden they're over-owned because everyone saw, because according to all my information, he was only going to be 8% owned and now he ends up being 16% owned because everyone saw it. Like, how do you avoid that pitfall? And 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 it is the ownership projections almost at almost tougher to do than than the actual player projections yeah so there's a lot to unwrap there first um Rudin and Odor, Drew Smiley not going to be projecting for high ownership unless the field is actually going to be you know trying to roster them um and we wouldn't want it to be that way you know like ideally you use ownership you compare it to a projection and you find which guys are going to be you know under owned relative to the field if, uh, if the ownership projections are based on the actual performance projection, well, that kind of defeats the purpose. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's a completely different system from the actual player projections. Um, you know, it's it's not trying to say, okay, the bat likes Rude and Odor, so everyone else must too. Like, no, it, it's going to realize that everyone else doesn't. And uh, But, but where, 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 does, where is that rate? Where, I mean, so how are you able to, for instance, like, like my manual way, like my – manual way is I look everywhere so I could see all the projections of everywhere. I could go, well, I'm using these projections and this is the only system that is enough, you know, like, like if you were using this, you'd, you'd be 20% owned, but according to, it's probably going to only be like 8% owned or so. Like I do it really blunt and estimated way. I may run 300 lineups with different projections sets and go who comes up more than others. 
and then compare them and then adjust the ownership from there manually, it won't equal the right number. I mean, like, I'm not trying to be precise. I'm just trying to be as accurate as I can. Like, the difference to me between 1% and 2% ain't a big deal. Difference between 24% and 26% ain't that big of a deal. But I don't want to have a batter at 18%. I think it's, I say it's going to be 18% owned. He ends up being 6% owned and vice versa. So without... Are you looking elsewhere? I mean, like, I don't see how that process happens because you may, you, you go through the bat and you project some, some whoever to be like, well, this guy projects, you know, it's some 54, it's, it's, uh, it's a high price, it's Bryce Harper or something like that. And it's like, well, he only projects for like 11 today, right? So like, and it's a 14 game slate and something and it's a good, he has a good matchup. He's in a decent ballpark, but for whatever reason, like Juan Soto is better. All, there are tons of guys in that range that project for 12 or 13 points. And you're like, well, 2% own. Who's playing Bryce Harper today? But you look around the entire industry, and it's like, well, he's facing some righty that's bad at, le- you know, the pitch type people. And the and the, <laughs> and the, it's 92 degrees. And it, it, like, they come up with the whole way where Bryce Harper should be like, Two points high, like other systems have have him higher projected than those other batters in that range, and he ends up being like a, a chalk one off at like eighteen percent owned because of that. Like without looking elsewhere, unless you're telling me you are, how do you take that into account into your ownership projections? Yeah, so um, it, it's important to understand that we're never going to get a hundred percent accuracy right. on anything. Player projections can't, ownership projections can't. Uh, we're trying to be better than the next guy. Um, I'm confident that these ownership projections are, I think, are going to be better than um, whatever else is out there. Um, I think there's a lot of good stuff going into them. Uh, some of it is black box type stuff. I don't want to talk too much about. There are some, um, I guess, industry type factors that helps you figure out. Okay, like this is a guy that the industry in general is is high on today. Um, is that you know, something you're putting in manually, though? Uh, no, no, it, it's all going to be automated. There's okay, no so how so how would you know that the in, so how would you know that the industry is high without? I I, I, I don't want to talk about the exact process behind it, but there is going to be some stuff like that in there. Um, it is going to consider slate dynamics. So if it's a slate where um, you know, like there's just a lot of really, really good high-end outfielders. Like, you know, maybe the ownership's going to be split up on them. Or maybe it's, you know, it's a really tough, you know, slate for shortstops where there's just a whole bunch of bad guys and one guy who's really good. Um, you know, and so that that guy's going to carry more of the ownership. Um, the model is not done yet. I should say it's not done yet. It probably will not be done on opening day. So it's going to start out. Anyone who subscribes is going to get Roto-Grinders projections starting on opening day. Um, and then as soon as this is ready, it's going to be worked in. Hopefully, you know, sometime in April, you know, by the beginning of May, we'll, we'll have to see. But it's coming along. Um, so the model's it, not done yet. So I don't know exactly what it's going to prioritize. But I do have a ton of variables that I think are important and are going to go into the model. And the model is going to determine, okay, this is important to this extent. This is not as important. This doesn't matter at all. But it's going to consider lots of stuff, kind of those industry factors. It's going to consider um, uh, recent ownership, you know, was a guy high owned last time was last time. Was he a high owned guy and busted? Now everyone's like, Oh, I want to, I want to pile off this guy. So it's going to consider stuff like that. How about, how about, does it consider ownership if the, uh, if the game is, is questionable to play? Okay. So that's one of the things I'm working through right now. Are you talking about weather? Yeah. Like that, that Roth has it as a yellow, it's going to be, or the different types of delays, like it's going to be a late start at seven and probably doesn't start playing until nine, but there's still like, even if you do those types of things, even if you just put in like a rain chance, like a percentage of the, of the time that, that it actually rains out and the, what the field thinks it's going to rain out. And then, you know, cause, cause we have some situations where like Boston, especially like it's looking iffy in Boston, it's two crap pitchers, and I'd love to play the Twins Red Sox game with a 12 total in Boston in, at 94 degree weather in July, uh, but they're, they're, it's it's pouring at seven o'clock. But 
you know, the radar looks good at 9 o'clock, so will the field hold up? And if the field holds up and they play at 9, I'm hoping to get these stacks there at, like, three times less ownership than you should be getting them if it didn't rain at all. But you still have to factor in that there is a risk that 9 o'clock comes around and they just say, fuck it, we ain't playing, and and your lineups are dead, like... Like, if you took out the rain factor, you would have, you know, the Red Sox stack at, like, 15% owned, but you add the rain factor in, and maybe the Red Sox stack comes in at 5% owned, and yeah. that should be... Fa- and then you obviously have to move the, all the other percent to, like, every other batter and pitchers and everything like that. Do you, are, are you, It seems like you will, will also have some type of way of gauging that. Yeah, that's actually been the hardest thing to model right now. I'm still in the process of coming up with a good solution for it, but I understand that I need to. So I have some ideas. I think something like that will be in there, um, but it's not it's not concrete yet. But yeah, I, I know that's a big one. How um, off? How often will will ownership run? Because the bat, the um, player projections you have running on like five minute intervals. It'll probably run on a five minute interval as well because some of the factors will change every five minutes you know if uh you know lineup position is going to be in there if a guy you know who normally bats ninth is all of a sudden batting lead off well the field's going to see that they're going to pile on him a little bit more um and the ownership's going to change because of it so yeah i think uh i think that'll probably ch- you know pr- i would imagine it will update every five minutes as well using you know updating that type of information you know as we go and some of the information static it's going to be there at the start of the day you know, the, just the player's underlying level, you know, what he's done this year overall, that's going to impact, you know, you know, the, the field knows Walker Bueller is a better pitcher than, uh, you know, than Drew Smiley is. So like you need a factor that, that tells the system, okay, Walker Bueller is a better player than Drew Smiley. He's going to be higher on. So we're going to have that in there. We're going to have recent performance because people love their recency bias. Um, you know, lots BVP, of BVP, do you have a, do you have an anti BVP bias? Because the people with BVP get higher owned slightly because even though it doesn't matter, like, like I can think of all these types of things of what you, where if you listen to shows, you could see the bias, but trying like what you're trying to do is to automate it. And I, I hope you, I know you're saying it's a black box, but I'm pushing you on all this type of stuff, especially since it's the forefront of how I play DFS is all based on what the field is going to do. And in my opinion, some automated system, which I I can't create myself, and not in the extent that you can. Uh, the black box would be the black box, if you want to say, is that well, I subscribe to all these sites, and I have a gauge of how certain sites impact ownership, and depending on the on the field of the large field, small field, stuff like that. That I just I I basically grab all of their projections and run. And they have their own ownership, right? And you're you're taking all of that data from elsewhere, because that's what other people are looking at, and then incorporating that into all your things. I'm not going to say that that's your black box, because I have no idea what what it is, right? But that's exa- that's what I would do, because if you're telling me that it's an automated system, it would, you know, it, I, I would think it has to it would be required. Why wouldn't you want? What other people, it's the same thing of when people ask me, why do you subscribe to all the sites, even though you work for Roto-Grinders? It's like, as a DFS player, the more information that I know someone else is looking at, even if I think the information sucks, is is valuable to me because I want to see where, if you know, in, in, in football, if someone's, you know, oh, this site has some running back eight points higher than, than the Blitz has it, right? And no other site has them eight, like, it's like, that's the outlier. And I'm like, oh, well, I also know that that's, that that site may impact ownership by, you know, a factor of 0.4 or something. That's like this owner, this this running back ain't going to be eight percent owned. He's going to be like fourteen or fifteen percent owned. And I'm playing even less of him now, right? Because now they get even more over owned. So like, like I, I think, may, are you saying black box? Are you not saying because you, you're grabbing projections from around the industry and that's you're calling I'm it the black box? Anything. All I'm saying is that you're right. It does make sense to try to account for what people are looking at and what their biases are. So, mm-hmm. like, if we think BVP drives stuff, you know, BVP will be thrown into the model. If we think people are looking at different things, like, you know, it's just. Uh, are you going to be back testing those types of variables? Like you, like really, that's even the better way of doing it. To look back and you regress all the data, you go, well, 
take a look at all of these variables and go like what affected ownership more and like here's here's something that you would consider to be like insane BVP right we have a J, G, J, what Choi against Cole right right G Man Choi always kills Garrett Cole right <laughs> that, that and then you all of a sudden you see ownership go like that on that slate it's like now you could kind of gauge where BVP changes well, that, ownership exactly, more often. I don't think I said, but that's how the model is going to work. So I have historical, all historical stats and data and everything. Do you have historical to, ownership also? Compared to historical ownership on the slate. So I can see what actually drove ownership on, on every slate. Oh, so, so you have, you have the, for both DraftKings and FanDuel? No, so not FanDuel. Right, okay, FanDuel so DraftKings. Doesn't, FanDuel doesn't let you have that data. So right. FanDuel's model is going to be a lot more basic. Uh, okay, but but on DraftKings, essentially, so so you're telling me part of the part of the black box. I'm opening up the little black box. I'm just looking at the men. So you're going back to 2016 ownership and what happened on slates and using all of that data and everything like that. I'm just basing it on last year. I mean, okay, but I mean it's some amount of data. Lots since then. I think actually relying on more recent data is is the right way to do mm. something like this. Um, but yeah, it's looking at past slates. Um, who was on the slate, what the dynamics of the slate were, what, you know, the, can you know, the, what the player had done recently coming into that slate, what he'd done, you know, in a longer term sense, like all these different things. And it's looking, okay, this is, uh, these were all the things that we knew about the player going into the slate. And this is what his ownership actually was. And it's looking at that for every player on every slate. And it's trying to figure out, okay, which of these things matter the most, which of these things really drive ownership. But but with the rainout stuff, I mean, you're gonna have to adjust for that as well. Yes. So that I, but that again, I did, now I can see how that could be a problem because you go, what this guy was rejected for 14 points and got zero ownership. It's like yeah, because the game was rained out, and that's the reason why they weren't owned. Yeah. It was it wasn't any type of like talent level or matchup level. It's like literally the game did not happen. Yeah. So we have historical. Uh, weather forecast, you know, there was a 60% chance of rain for this game, but like it gets complicated because like maybe there was a 60% chance of rain at, at game time, but it was going to clear out within a couple hours and nobody was worried. Um, So, uh, so I actually asked Kevin Roth if he had like a historical archive of his red, orange, blue, or not, (laughs) not blue, but of his, you know, color coded things. I'm like, that'd be perfect. I could just build that right in. Uh, He does not. He said they disappear after every day. So uh, I don't have those. Um, but I do have some ideas for how to incorporate this. Um, but it is, again, trickier because it, it's more of an art, that type of thing. You know, like, you know, it's like you said, like, well, this game, you know, maybe it's just going to play in a couple hours or maybe it's it's the Washington Nationals and you just never know. And they're right. going to just call it off because, like, there's there's a lot of uh, uncertainty with that type of stuff. I know, but so, also in the past stuff, you don't sometimes by – you. Yeah, the day before, the day after, you remember the context of a slate. But do you remember the context of a slate from last April? It could be like, well, why was the ownership off over here? It's like, oh, well, the the Dodgers, Kershaw was supposed to pitch, and an hour before the game, he was moved, and Kershaw ended up being 8% owned and gotten zero points. And then because yeah. there was, and that changes kind of the context. Of, everything looks kind of off if you viewed it as, it was like this at seven o'clock Eastern, but we have some slates where a pitcher gets scratched and it's a bullpen game or uh, the Dodgers, you know, the, the Justin Turner gets, gets scratched at eight 30 at night and whatever third, uh, Josh Donaldson in the nine o'clock game. Now his ownership goes up to the, to the roof because everyone's swapping off a Turner and it's like from yeah. a statistical standpoint, it looks like Justin, it looks like uh, Josh Donaldson is way over owned, but it's like, well, no, because because that wasn't the Dodger lineup at the time, and all the other third basemen from the earlier games couldn't have been rostered because obviously because the games were locked. Yeah, and those type of little like you know rare kind of micro you know understandings of it. Um, I mean, they're they're not going to be fully accounted for. Um, obviously, you know, a guy gets scratched at, at nine o'clock, and the ownership all jumps off of him to somebody else. Like, it, the system probably won't pick up on that. Um, but it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen frequently enough that that that'll exactly. that'll do. Like, it'll make everything out of whack. That's exactly it. Like, even when we're looking at past slates, you know, 
there's going to be a small handful of slates where something like that happened. It's not really going to impact the model at all. It's it's going to get washed out because we're dealing with such a big sample of of baseball slates that you know those kind of things are rare. Um, so it's really it's not going to make a big difference. But um, again, like anything else, like it's going to be a projection. It's not going to be gospel. It's going to be, I think, really good. I think it's going to be better than whatever other projections are out there. Um, but you know, use a little bit of common sense when you use it yourself also. Now that you're doing ownership projections, I'm not saying this year, but do you think in 2023, uh, or maybe this year if you want, if, but I'm, I'm guessing next year, uh, will you then be able to do simulations? Uh, simulations. Contest-based contest simulations. Um, yeah, I hadn't thought about it, but... I Why wouldn't you think about it? It's the holy grail. What are you not thinking? If you all did... Right, if you right. did, I'm, the, I'm focused on one thing at a time. Uh, I'm trying to build out these ownership projections. And then after no, that, I'm thinking, okay, I got to build out, you know, like, uh, like Slate IQ type, you know... Well, that's what, that's what I'm talking about. But that's what I'm talking oh, about. Okay. So I said, but what you would be doing, essentially, from, from a... This is from a high-level view, is using the your ownership... Right, your own ownership to build an estimate, and obviously you have to put in constraints where it's like most are—they're not putting just using twenty-five thousand in salary. You know, most of these lineups don't have all one-offs. It's mostly stacks. Like you have to put some constraint, and you're trying to basically recreate. If it's on DraftKings has a forty thousand entry contest, you're basically saying based on my ownership, how do I get to these ownership numbers with these stacks and everything like that? To create the 40,000 lineups I believe estimated would be in this contest, right? And then you take those lineups and then you run a simulation of your project of your exact player projections, the correlation between the play and run them out. And then each lineup to the payout structure of the contest, right? It's a 50,000 a first. The first simulation, this lineup won first, this lineup won second, this lineup all the way down to the bottom. And then you'd run it again and again and again, and you divide that number, and you get an ROI, an EV number compared to everything. And then you're able to also, after 10,000 sims or 100,000 sims, say, you know, what percentage of the time is this player in the winning lineup or in the top 1% of lineups, in the top 10% of lineups? What, right. you know, what stacks, five-man stacks, four-man stacks, like it's the slate, it's same, it's, I mean, it's slate IQ, but you're doing it on a lineup level. And then once you once you're doing it on a lineup level, you've you've essentially, you know, you could basically sell the bat and go, uh, it'll simulate what the most profitable lineups in the simulations are, and then you could just choose 150 of those, <laughs> and hopefully no one duplicates you, right? And yeah, but you yeah, may come yeah. at it. There may not be a top 150. They may be here's 17,000 lineups, right? In comparison, that have a similar expected value. And it's like, if you're playing any one of these lineups into that field, and then obviously the second step would be not just large field. You'd be doing ownership for the smaller field. Like there's, you could go down the rabbit hole with this type of stuff, but oh, I know, <laughs> but the fact that you're doing like the first piece of thing that you need to do is the ownership piece. And I know Cardi, you have the skills to do what I'm talking about. You just needed that ownership piece to start with. So like I'm looking way past the, this this ownership black box and going, uh, how could how could we make it so that uh, charging four hundred dollars a season for the bat would be criminally underpriced? Because I think I think it's criminally underpriced as it is now, and I, I almost say say that as a selling point for people that want to get the bat, which is therotogrinders.com/slash/the-bat. To me, four. It's not like even the. It's 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 for like what 150, 200 slates showdowns. I mean, like, like dude, like you, the entire baseball season for four hundred dollars, like seems yeah. like just it seems seems nuts that it's that cheap. So it's way too cheap. It's it way is. too cheap. I mean, you even know it's, it's way too cheap. cheap. Yeah, <laughs> but you do it anyway. You want? I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But if you add yeah. that type of stuff that I'm talking about, you that the more stuff you add, like to me with the yeah. owner, like did you raise what was it 300 last season? It was okay. So it is. So okay. So you did increase the price. We did increase the price. Yeah. I mean, not to the. I mean, I, I get users all the time charge three thousand dollars for the bet. Like, 
and like it's tempting to do that but i don't know like it just it seems uh like a big jump and i don't want to alienate people who've been you know around and using it for a long time and uh you know um I, I think this is a pretty a pretty reasonable jump this year right and, and, and you're getting the only cuts but you're getting the ownership projections with it yeah right yeah. so that's that's that, i'm just trying to figure out like it's like okay you raise the price but you're adding something also yeah so like i don't know to me to, to me this is like a no like a no-brainer for i mean like like it's a cost of doing business but I understand your I understand your point. If you if you're someone out there that is playing, you know, baseball five days a week, right? Maybe not all seven days a week, and you're playing like a hundred to two hundred dollars a slate type of thing, like four hundred dollars divided by six or whatever is what? Like uh uh like sixty five, seventy five, seventy bucks a month. Like exactly. you're on you're 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 reasonable enough. If you're playing two hundred bucks a day to play, you know, if you're playing 150 lineups into the mini max and you're playing like it makes it reasonable enough. But like for someone like me and and I'm I'm not even the highest of volume of players. I may be playing a thousand to two thousand dollars anywhere, depending on the size of the slate. Like to me, 400 bucks is like like that's e like that's why I say it could be four thousand dollars and it would still be worth it for me to use. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people who feel that way. It's uh, you know, I get I get torn I get torn different ways every year. So uh, it's trying to find a good balance. Well, it comes it comes down to would you rather uh, have if you charge four thousand dollars for it, you'll have way less users. But you'll how many more use how many more users will you have? Like it's like you charge ten times as much. Do you have ten times less users? And also. From a business perspective, I could understand that uh, spread diversification, right? You'd ra- like from a from a from a, a risk standpoint, you'd much rather for if you're just uh, maximizing risk and don't care about the return, rather have 500 people that subscribe at this price than 50 people that subscribe at a price 10 times higher because every one person that you lose or gain is a bigger swing. All right. Yeah. And then you also have 50 people that are like, like, no, we're the most entitled people in the world. And, you know, if shit doesn't get updated two minutes before lock, you're going to be hearing from us. Right. <laughs> and and losing a bunch of people is going to matter a lot more. I'm not saying that you're going to lose people. Right. But like you'd much rather have I'm, I'm talking purely on a business perspective that right. that I'm like, it's it's weird to say that you should be charging more. But I understand why you're not, and that's not a like like that doesn't take away the value of the product you offer. You know how much it's worth, how much it should be worth. You should be yeah. charging, should just, be charging a lot more, right? Just, a lot more. Know, but do you want to have a cut? Let's say you charge twenty thousand dollars. You probably would get ten people, right, to pay you that, which is a nice nice two hundred k take. You know that's pretty good living, right? Yeah. But it's like now you have to cater to just ten people. And it's like one of them gets mad at you for any reason or, or just like I, I decided not to play MLB DFS this year. It's like that's that's 10% of your income. Yeah. Right. It's very – in the, in, the, in the marketing and advertising industry, it's very simple. Like I, I was the type that I rather charge less and have like 15 clients than have three clients that I charge five times more for because – you know, marketing departments change all the time. Or some new person comes in, we're all getting rid of you. And it's like, that's a third of my income. And now I have to find a new client. Like, I, I, I'd rather not be put in that situation. Yeah, have, having more like that definitely does does lower the risk. Um, and if you're going to have fewer clients, take on more risk, charge more, you know, you need to, I think, make a good amount more as well. So there, there's going to be kind of a point of diminishing returns with it. There's going to be kind of an equilibrium point where it's like a good balance of like, raw money number of use it's 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 there's a lot to it um you know it's not like i know i have the right answer here and and the product i think is certainly worth way more than i charge for it but you should do a print uh, no what you should do next year is do a premium version okay i mean if i, if I were to build this simulation thing like right. you're saying I could, I could definitely see doing okay there's a version for it you get all these simulations and all this crazy stuff and you got to pay 5k for it or like whatever it would be. right well, I'm, I'm saying like whatever the base the bat is maybe the base the bat x or whatever is is large field ownership projections 
right, for DraftKings and FanDuel and the North, like, whatever you offer this year, that's what you get. And then maybe next year, it's like, well, you also have ownership projections for, like, like all the different types of, like, if you want the ownership projection of the, of the, the whatever, small field, 777, if you want the, the, like, and you have all of that, and it's like, you have, like, four different levels of ownership type. If you want the ownership projections of the, the showdown slates, of the, like, of all this, of everything, and then plus the stack simulations of all this, like, then it's like, okay, that's $4,000, right? Like, do you have a four, like, if you want that, it's whatever, right? And then, obviously, you want to, if you're going to do all that work, you still want to make sure that that price point covers it worth you doing, but, like... Yeah. I could I could see you doing some, something like that rather than because if you added all that type of stuff, like four hundred dollars would be like it, no, it would have to be. Yeah, I mean, that would be stupid would take to do that. Like that's an that's an insane thing to do. Um, it would have to cost like way more. Well, I mean, because you'd essentially be doing what a lot of some of the top GPP players currently do. Yeah, you'd essentially be handing here's here's a box on how of almost the exact way that some of the most profitable DFS players actually play, and I'm just gonna hand it to you. Yeah, but I said that I said that to Justin at Run the Sims also, and seems like you're you're the one. Like, oh, I didn't even think about it, and I'm like, dude, like that. <laughs> I don't care about the projection of the games. I care about the projections of the contests. So it's like yeah. once you could meld them together and just tell me if I could just type, even if you don't give me the output, like let's say you did it in, in a way where you're not giving away the house, where you can incorporate a, a I mean, I, it would have to, line of HQ would have to be like kind of rejiggered in order for it to happen, is that any lineup that you spit out in lineup HQ on Roto Grinders, it would say mean projection, ownership sum, and then the expected value of the lineup, right? Because you have all the lineups in your database and what their dollar amount is. So you're not going to show and say, here are 5,000 lineups ordered by this type. So if you want to play lineup number one, like you don't have, but you have a table that exists like that. And it's just like, you build the lineups like that. And I'll tell you what your expected, you know, return in this contest of that lineup is. So it doesn't feel like, so people can still make, mistake right people could still make mistakes and then you could i i know i'm going I, i'm getting i'm getting all excited about a no, system right because like i mean that's the kind of thing you have to think about with this stuff is obviously if you give out you know well i'm you can't give out lineups to begin with but like you know if people are do playing the same lineup and it's getting duplicated well now the expected value isn't what it used right. to be solely because your product exists and that's the kind of thing i'm thinking about even on a more basic level with these ownership projections it's like okay well, let's say these ownership projections come out and they do wind up being really good. And I build, you know, a tool, like a basic tool that like tells you, okay, this is the best leverage stack today because it's going to be low owned. And everyone sees it's going to be low owned. And now all of a sudden, because they see that, they're going to play it. And the ownership's going to be wrong because people that, are looking at the low owner. That happens and, all, dude, that, and dude, and, and that happens all the time. That, so like, dude, on Slate IQ, uh, Slate IQ will look and go, Hmm. It looks like the twins are under way under owned today. And then I go to like Awesomeo, and I look at their top stacks tool. It's like it looks like Minnesota's going to be way under owned today. And then next thing you know, Minnesota's like second highest owned stone stack. And yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, because everyone everyone saw that they were under owned that it moved everyone's <laughs> ownership up on them. Yeah. So that that's the toughest part of of doing ownership, I think, is like accounting for that kind of like game within the game, you know, like game theory type stuff. Um, you know, it's just people know, people have some idea of who's going to be owned and they react to it and that changes the ownership. So right. it's just, uh, you know, there's only so much you can account for, but that's something I'm definitely thinking about. <laughs> so is there anything else new in the bat? Anything uh, that uh, that people should know? I mean, that's the main thing. The ownership's the, the biggest new thing. Um, obviously, there's adjustments for, for Camden Yards, for Universal DH, for the double headers, for like any, anything that's like, you know, going to happen in baseball this year. Like there's, you know, going to be an adjustment for it. Still debating if there's going to be adjustment for any of these humidors. Uh, Petco would be the one in particular. Um, still still kind of doing some research on that. Um, but otherwise, I mean, it's, uh, you know, the bat, I think, is is the best system available. There's, you know, it's already really, really good. Doesn't need to be 
a whole lot of other upgrades. Um, the biggest upgrade that's coming is the pitchers, which will happen at some point. Uh, the pitcher stack cast stuff, but otherwise, like you know, the and, and, and with this and with this, Derek, you also get the statistical projections. Uh, yeah, you mean like the categories? Like this guy yeah. projects for yeah, like a fifty-two percent chance of of getting a win today, and right, and home runs and doubles, and I mean, you have all the the columns yeah. because because there there are a lot of people that in our you also have the Discord, right? And if you're in the Roto Grinders Discord, yeah. we have the Bat Channel, which tends to yeah. be a, de- a decent channel for yeah, behavior wise people. yeah users hang out in there you know i answer questions you know some of the the long-term veteran guys answer questions it's it's a really good place to be but you could also use the statistical projections to bet on props for sports betting uh yes you can um you can definitely do that if you want to make betting props really easy the bat works with the sports betting tools over at ev analytics where you can look at the bats projection on any category compare it to basically any sports book you want you know, you can find where the biggest discrepancies are, um, you know, between between the books, you know, which projections have the biggest project discrepancies, you know, between the, you know, the, the betting line. And you can you, you can bet it that way. That that's actually I think the, the easiest way to do it because it, it compares it all right to the right to the betting line. That's an it. extra charge that you have to pay for that. Yeah. That, I mean, it's a separate website. It's their own tools that it works with. So, yeah, it's a se- separate subscription right. over there. But I mean, if you wanted to do it, even the ma- even if you didn't want to do that. If you want to do it the manual, more manual way, you could just bring up the bat statistical yeah. projections and just go, let me go to DraftKings Sportsbook and see what the home run lines are. And then you compare the line. I mean, you could also download the CS. I mean, like the CSV of the bat stuff, you could download yourself also. Yes. And do whatever the hell you want. And like convert this to American odds and whatever. You know, if, if you're an Excel wizard and you do a whole bunch of stuff and you want to incorporate the bat, I know, I know. Tons of sharp players that incorporate, take the bat data and incorporate into their own models and their own simulations. So it's not like this type of thing where you have to like manually write stuff that like, or cut and paste. It's like you get, you, you give the, 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 the CSVs and everything that you could download. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's all there for you. You get basically all the data you could want. You can download it. You can do whatever you want with it, you know, and uh, Yeah. What 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 more is that? What more is there to ask for? I don't think there's a whole lot more. I think it's a pretty good deal. I th- I think it's a very good deal. Thirty uh, three hundred and ninety nine ninety nine, four hundred bucks. Just say four hundred. Why not? <laughs> it's old school days. Oh, I'm gonna save a pen. Oh, it looks cheaper. Whatever. Uh, Rotogrinders.com slash the dash bat. Uh, it's available now, and the the the, uh, the Discord is open. Yeah, it's available now, right? People could buy that now, right? Yep, it's available. Right. There's no early bird special or anything? No. Just this is the price this year. We will have a monthly and a daily option starting on opening right. day. I don't know if anyone wants to do it that way, but uh, you will get a better deal just buying the season long. Right. And that's – and I, I I eat my own dog food, right? I mean, it's not my dog food, but, like, I know that this, this was – this is a pseudo one-hour infomercial on the bat, uh, <laughs> but – it, it is what I use. So like, like when I play, this is what I use. So if I do badly, that means everyone else is going to do right. So if you're going to do badly with the bat, I'm going to do badly with the bat, but it's not just the numbers. You obviously have to use, you know, build good lineups. You still have to involve game theory involved. Yeah, uh, but it's I'm, not I'm, I'm, you what to do. You need to do smart things with it, but you're starting from, from basically, I think the best system that that's available. And you can follow Derek Hardy at Derek Hardy on twitter i know you'll probably make the rounds on other podcasts you know but baseball season coming around people like oh what's going on with it probably answer the same questions that i've asked right what's going on with the orioles we get to talk about like the really like in-depth stuff and you push me about okay what's exactly going into these ownership projections (laughs) this is always one of one of the best ones to be well you have to expect that you knew i was i wasn't gonna just let you slide with it's a black box get the (laughs) fuck out of here Right, you could talk to you could tell you could tell someone from an ESPN podcast or something that's like yeah oh yeah I count in the balance I know no no I actually I actually understand this shit fucking I want to know that you're not just making this shit up right I didn't want I don't the black box is yeah it's a random number generator right like <laughs> like something like that and we'll we'll do hey it 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 has a point two seven R who gives a fuck right what does it matter. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah. No, I'd like to think people understand at this point with how good the bat and the blitz are, you know, that anything. Although you do, I, do, do you NFL ownership if the MLB ownership works? Yeah, that that's the plan. Okay. And, but still, people will still ask if you're going to be doing the bounce or the puck or the board, right? Yeah. And you'll still get the answer of if you did any uh, projection system for another sport, it's probably going to be golf. Yeah, it might be golf. Um, I have a rudimentary F1 projection system that I've been using for like my home fantasy leagues the last the last year or two that I'm thinking about putting out there. But it's not like the same quality as the bat or the blitz, so I don't know if I'm going to do that. Or well, not. I mean, people seem to seem to be in F1 DFS at least for now. We see this all the time with these little things. Like three months from now, the, the F1 prize pools will be down to like fucking five thousand dollars or something. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like F1. I, I really like F1. So. Uh, you know, if I ever decide, okay, I want to make these a little bit better, maybe I'll think about selling them. Okay, doke. So uh, get the bat. And as always, you can always get the theory of daily fantasy sports. 15-hour audio DFS masterclass. You can pick up at theoryofdfs.com.